The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And so we are thinking this morning about the sacraments, not the Lord's Supper, uh, but of baptism. Uh, in our series of hard questions, we're asking the question this morning, you see it in your bulletin, does baptism save? And uh, we're asking this question because uh, many people uh, have asked this very explicit question, does, does baptism work this way? Uh, and, and how does it work if it doesn't work that way or this way? What is the relationship of baptism to salvation and how do we understand this? So, as we pursue this, let me invite you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 3 at verse 18 through the end of the chapter because it is here, specifically at verse 21, that we will find a very interesting statement that Peter makes uh, which elicits a lot of questions from people about the relationship between the sacrament of baptism and the reality of salvation and how to put these things together to understand correctly what is the relationship between these two things. So uh, if you have questions about baptism, uh, it may be that they are covered in the galaxy of issues surrounding this topic, uh, but I think that this will be helpful, I hope, both uh, for Christian believers to uh, deepen our own understanding of the sacrament of baptism, but also to enable us to interact effectively and accurately with others who may not share our faith convictions, but perhaps have questions about uh, what it is that we do and what it is that we believe and why those things relate. So, under the question, does baptism save, I think there's a, several other subheadings of questions that I want to introduce to you to kind of frame the, the reality that we're speaking about this morning. Not just does baptism save us, but also we could ask, is it possible for someone to be forgiven without being baptized? Is the relationship between the forgiveness of sins and baptism uh, so close that it is impossible to be forgiven without being baptized? We could also ask the question, is it possible for someone to have been baptized and yet not be forgiven? What is the relationship between baptism and the forgiveness of sins? Uh, or other people might be asking the question, uh, if I am baptized, or perhaps if I baptize my children, is that it? Is it all that I have to do? Is it just a ceremony in and of itself? Uh, what is it about the water? Uh, and uh, I can't help but, but think uh, that it's actually, uh, if, if you know that Carrie Underwood song, There Must Be Something in the Water, I actually think that it's a little bit unhelpful theologically, because people start to wonder, is there something about uh, the, the hydrogen and oxygen molecules that make up uh, the water that effectuates the accomplishment of the forgiveness of my sins. What is it about baptism that relates to the forgiveness of sins, and, and how does this work? This is what we're thinking about this morning, and to help us with this, we're looking at 1 Peter 3. Now again, I'd give you the context uh, clue that verse 21 is especially where we're focusing, but we will draw out the larger context of 1 Peter. So if you've got your Bible open there, let's pray, and we will ask God's blessing upon the Word as we seek uh, truth from His Word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we bow now with the Scriptures open before us, praying that as your Holy Spirit so moved the Apostle Peter to record these words, that you would send that same Spirit upon us, that we might read, mark, learn, and inwardly receive that which is given to us, that which is true, and that which your Spirit has inspired. So, Lord, illuminate our hearts and minds, that we might know and believe your truth, and so bless us to be a people of the truth, 
as we pursue Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of God, 1 Peter 3, at verse 18 through the end of this chapter. This is the word of God. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. As you're looking there to that uh, passage, uh, you'll notice not just verse 21, which is going to be our focus, but, but also verse 19, which uh, brings about many questions that people have. It's, it's, it's wonderful, actually, that, that Peter could, in just a few verses, address so many things that bring about so many questions and even truthfully have resulted in many different uh, ways of answering the same questions because this passage is one that brings about, quite frankly, a lot of confusion and a lot of uncertainty. And in a real moment of arrogance, you know, I might say, I don't know, Peter, if I would have said it like, quite like that. Uh, and, and that would be uh, truly arrogance because the Spirit, again, inspired Peter to record what he wrote just as he wrote it. And so rather than assuming that there's something wrong with what Peter has said or a need to clarify it, it's actually one of those times when the Bible requires us to, to stop and really uh, linger long and gaze at a passage to say, what does this mean? Because a precursory and initial reading of it might say, well, it means this, but that can't be right, so I wouldn't have said it that way. When in reality, Peter is saying something quite profound that requires us to, to pause and linger long and look closer for our benefit. You know, Peter himself says in other places in the New Testament that not everything in the Bible is equally clear. Uh, the Apostle Peter even acknowledges that there are some things that the Apostle Paul says that are difficult to understand that even Peter wrestles with. And Peter reminds us that not everything is equally clear, though all things are equally beneficial to our spiritual health, but some things need us to take longer gazes to understand. And this is definitely one of those. Because when Peter says in verse 21, baptism... And if you skip over this next phrase, if you just read it as baptism saves you, you might have all sorts of questions. Which is why we ask this particular question, does baptism save and the other questions associated with it? So let me address this context of what Peter is speaking about and then we'll funnel down into the narrow scope of what he is saying. And as we unpack the text we will arrive at a conclusion about what Peter is arguing and then do two things. We will ask, what is true about this and then what should we do with it? So we'll unpack the text and then ask what is true to unpack the doctrine in the text and then what to do to apply the application of the text. So the text, what is true and what to do. 
as we see what Peter is saying here. Now, if, if you're not familiar with uh, Peter's epistles, uh, Peter writes First and Second Peter, and Peter is addressing the church, and his focus in addressing the church is to focus on their reality of life under the weight of persecution, under the Roman Empire that is opposed to the Christian faith. And Peter's concern is that Christian believers would live in accord with their profession of faith even amidst all the pressures that they experience and the persecutions. They should, they should still live in accord with that profession. And what he's been doing in the first letter that he writes, 1 Peter, is that beginning in chapter 2, he's making all manner of applications to how different Christians should live under different sets of circumstances as God's providence sets out a course of life for you, how you should go about living in accord with your profession of faith in light of your life and your circumstances and situations of your life. Different people in the visible church, how they should conduct themselves. And as he's talking to different people about different circumstances, one of the main themes that he is saying is that regardless of who you are and your experience of life, everybody suffers. Suffering is a major theme of Peter's epistles. And under the theme of suffering, he writes about the reality of our suffering as we identify ourselves with Jesus. That as we take up the name of Jesus and live in a world that is hostile to that name, it should not come at a surprise that people will be hostile to us who are hostile to our Lord when we profess His name. And so the theme of suffering is a major theme. So, as Peter is addressing that, he addresses the subject of baptism and suffering because baptism is the means by which we are identified with Jesus and identified with the one that the world is opposed to and then live in the world that is also opposed to us because it is opposed to Him. So all that means, when Peter says in chapter 3, verse 18... For Christ also suffered. It's in the context of Him saying to you as a Christian believer, Jesus suffered. And when you follow Jesus, you will also suffer. You will also experience the weight and the sorrow and the difficulty of a fallen world that is fundamentally opposed to Jesus. So as He is bringing it back to what Christ has done to give us confidence as we walk in a world opposed to Him, He's giving us cause to be encouraged. So, in verse 318, when He says, Christ also suffered, He's going to draw together this connection between your life and Jesus' life and illustrate how baptism teaches us how to understand the relationship between Jesus' life and our life between Jesus' reality and our reality, even between Jesus' suffering and our suffering, as He is going to encourage us to live for Christ and suffer for Christ, but not to suffer for, for evil, but to suffer for doing good. So you might ask yourself, okay, but how does that get us to baptism? Suffering and identification, etc. How does that get us even to Noah? Because you'll notice it's a, a Noahic illusion that he is making here at the end of chapter 3. How do we get from suffering as a Christian, identifying with Jesus, to Noah and the flood? Well, it's, it's by this theme of deliverance. Because everyone who suffers wants to be delivered, 
How do we understand deliverance in relationship to suffering, in relationship to our lives as a Christian, and identifying with Jesus, and suffering in the world, and longing to be delivered? Well, Peter says it's like this. It's like this. He says, think about the ark. Think about Noah. Peter is instructing Christians with the Old Testament, particularly Genesis 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And he says, Christian believer, as you think about your life, and as you think about identifying with Jesus, and as you think about your sufferings, remember Noah. And remember the ark that he made by God's instruction. And remember that Noah and his family went into the ark. And remember that the waters came upon the world. And the church in the Old Testament, Noah and his family, went into the ark. And they were saved through the flood by coming into the ark. The key thing to draw out here is that Noah and his family is saved through the water, but not by the water. Noah and his family is saved through the water, but not by the water. Look again. Verse 18, Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. That's talking about how the Spirit of God preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in the days of the Old Testament, when the ark was being prepared. But of that prepared ark, verse 20 says, only eight persons went into it. And those eight persons were brought safely through the water. So verse 21 says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. So what is the relationship between baptism and Noah's ark? Between deliverance and the forgiveness of sins? Because the reason why people have questions about the sacrament of baptism and the ceremony of baptism is usually pertaining to the fact that people make assumptions that there is something about the water that comes upon the person that accomplishes the washing away of their sins by the washing of their body with water. So when Peter says baptism corresponds to the ark, he is teaching us that God saves His people by means of the ark, not by means of the water. And baptism corresponds to this. That something is true about this ark and flood episode that corresponds to what is true about baptism that you as a Christian need to understand. That we as Christians must grasp. And notice how he explains this. In verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, and the this is the ark and flood saved through water. What is true about this, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, Peter says, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what we encounter with this question, does baptism save? Peter cuts off from the very beginning the possibility that it is the water itself, doesn't he? When he says, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Not 
emphatically saying it is not only this external reality, not as a removal of dirt from the body, he says, which is why this question is oftentimes confusing for folks, because there are some Christian traditions that do teach that it is the water itself. This is called baptismal regeneration. It's the teaching that the water being applied accomplishes the forgiveness of sins. In some traditions, they believe that baptism washes away your original sin so that you are counted guiltless, and then from that point on, you have to live innocently or else be punished for your sins. Some traditions teach that. There are other traditions that teach it actually accomplishes a full forgiveness of all of your sins by having water come upon you. Again, that's called baptismal regeneration. The idea that the water being applied does actually accomplish the washing away of our sins. But that's exactly what Peter is saying it does not do. Not as a removal of dirt from the body. He's saying it's not this external reality fundamentally that is most essential. It is not fundamentally the water that comes upon the person, but what the water points to. This is the key point. It is not the literal washing itself, but what the water points to by way of a sign. Baptism points to the reality that all who receive and rest upon Jesus Christ as He has offered in the Gospel will be forgiven of their sins. Washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Their sins washed away. And baptism is a picture. Baptism is a symbol of that washing, of that forgiveness. But apart from faith, baptism does not accomplish the forgiveness of sins. It only points to the forgiveness of sins and you must trust in Jesus in order for your baptism to accomplish what it promises, namely, the washing away of the forgiveness of your sins. So there is something true about this flood from Genesis that Peter is uh, drawing a contrasting conclusion between that is also true about baptism. So he goes back to Noah and he says, think about it this way. Think about Noah. Think about the ark. Think about the fact that the world was flooded and Noah and his family were saved. Not by the waters, but through the waters. How did it happen? Because Noah and his family went into the ark. And the water raised them up and they were delivered because they were inside the ark. And the contrast that Peter is drawing here is that the same water that raised up the ark that Noah and his family were within to bless and save them was the same water that covered the earth and drowned those who were outside the ark. Peter is drawing a contrast between the fact that the same spiritual truth blesses those who receive it by faith and curses those who reject it in unbelief. But the same water can both bless those who receive it by faith and curse those who reject it in unbelief. The same water came upon the earth not to bless, but to curse those outside the ark. So baptism points to this reality that if you are within the ark, if you are within Christ, 
If you are in union with Christ by faith, then the sign of baptism is a blessing to you of your sins being washed away. The sacrament and sign of baptism is a sign of blessing to those who receive it by faith as they trust in Jesus. But if you are outside of Christ, if you are rejecting Christ, if you are not receiving and resting upon Him as He has offered freely, then the waters of baptism point not to your blessing, but to your being swept away. Elsewhere, in the Old Testament especially, there is another form of baptism that the New Testament teaches about, namely the Red Sea. And that the same episode blessed Israel as they walked through the parted waters of the Red Sea and they were said to be baptized into Moses, but the Egyptians also experienced a baptism at the Red Sea, didn't they? Theirs was not for blessing, but for cursing. Because the same reality blesses those who receive it by faith and curses those who reject it in unbelief. So this is what Peter is saying. That baptism corresponds to this reality of receiving and coming into the blessing of God by way of the Savior and being forgiven through what Jesus has done as we receive Him by faith. So this is what Peter is saying. And you could understand why somebody would perhaps be confused or come to the conclusion that, that it is the act of baptism itself, that it is the water itself that does save us, but that's not what we believe as a Christian church. This is what we believe about the forgiveness of sins. This is what we believe about the gospel. We believe exactly what you know we believe, that, that salvation is by what? Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is not by baptism. Salvation is not something that we accomplish for ourselves, but something that God has done for us that we receive. So there is no doing of any work on our behalf. So we shouldn't think about baptism as something that you check off your list as having accomplished that in your string of accomplishments so that you can be granted salvation. That's not how baptism works. Instead, we should see baptism as signifying what Christ has done for His people in the washing away of our sins, in the clothing us in His righteousness, and sealing His promises to us, not of what we do for ourselves, but of what Christ has done for us. So baptism is a visible sign and seal of these promises and guarantees that what the Gospel says is true, really and truly God really does promise to wash away your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. God really does promise to claim you into His family and clothe you in His Son's righteousness and give you a citizenship in His kingdom forever by way of baptism. And it points to that reality, but it doesn't itself accomplish it with the external washing of water. We need not be confused about this. Another way we could think about it is is that because baptism is a sacrament, it, it works the same way the Lord's Supper does. There is an external visible sign, water or bread and cup. And those external visible signs point you to a reality that is beyond itself. Because it is not the eating and drinking, and it is not the washing in and of itself that matters. 
it is what that visible sign points to that matters. Now, you know this is true because you practice it not just regularly, sacramentally in church, but you practice it every time you drive home. That signs point to realities beyond themselves. When you're driving home and you see a sign that says Andalusia, 10 miles, or Edgington, 10 miles, or Reynolds, 10 miles, or wherever, Taylor Ridge, 5 miles away, you know that that sign is not your home. You don't get out at the sign and say, oh, it's good to be home. Let me just unpack the car here at the road sign. Because you know that the sign is not the thing itself. It points to the reality of what you know lies behind the sign, namely the way home. And it is faith, and faith alone, that is able to connect the external visible reality with the true spiritual inward reality. Only faith can do that. That's why we say, only when you eat and drink by faith are you nourished upon the body and blood of Jesus. And only when faith is joined to the washing with water in the sacrament of baptism does it point to the reality of the forgiveness of sins. And without faith, you don't perceive the thing that the sign points to. It would be like getting out and unpacking the car at the sign that says 10 miles away. It's not the way it works. So what should we do with this? This is what is true about baptism. We know that in and of itself it doesn't save us. It points to the Savior who promises forgiveness. That's what is true. So what should we do? What should we do about this? Several things by way of conclusion and really application. The bottom line here is that it is possible. It is most definitely possible for an unbaptized person to be saved. We should think uh, much, not less further than the thief on the cross, who himself is physically restricted from being baptized. And yet he receives Jesus Christ. He rests upon the truth of who he is, but he is obviously physically hindered from being baptized. And Jesus says to him in Luke 23 43, Today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, Wait, you need to be baptized then you can receive the promise of being with me in paradise. He says, you will be with me in paradise. But I also have an encouragement to us to think about it this way, that the thief on the cross is not the normative illustration for the Christian believer. And in fact, if I were to continue writing the story to be so bold, had the thief on the cross come down from the cross, the next logical thing for him to have done would be to be baptized as he believes in Jesus Christ. I'm confident that he would have been baptized, but since he didn't, that day he received what his baptism would have pointed him to, namely the forgiveness of sins and union with Christ by faith. So, is it possible for an unbaptized person to be saved? Yes, of course. Jesus himself says so. And it is also true that it is possible for someone to be baptized outwardly, but not inwardly. That it is possible for a person to have gotten wet, but because they do not believe, they do not receive what the baptism signifies, namely the forgiveness of sins, meaning that it is possible to be a baptized unbeliever and at the end of the day perish if faith is not joined to the sign of the sacrament. 
if you are a baptized unbeliever, the waters don't stand to bless you. They stand to curse you, which is why we should flee to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. If we are a baptized unbeliever, we are wearing the jersey of the team to which we do not actually belong. So, if it's true that it's possible for an unbaptized person to be saved, and it's also true for a person who is baptized to not be saved, necessarily we should ask the question, so why bother with any of this, right? If we could get it wrong each direction potentially or get it mistaken each way, why bother with any of it? Well, because Jesus has taught that the normal way that a person receives the promise of salvation is through the word proclaimed that they receive by faith and then that gospel which is visibly preached to them and declared in the sacraments, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper. To be identified with Christ by baptism and receive the promise of the forgiveness of sins is the normal course of the Christian life. It is the normative way of following Jesus to be a baptized Christian. So, if you are not baptized and you believe you should be baptized in the name of Jesus, we find many people in the pages of the New Testament eager to be baptized in obedience to Jesus. So hear it plainly that a Christian believer who continues to reject the sacrament of baptism is actually walking in disobedience rather than obedience. And in fact, I recently had a conversation with a, a, a Christian teacher uh, who, in their tradition, they don't observe the sacraments at all. They reject both sacraments. They don't have baptism or the Lord's Supper, to which I asked him, how do you walk in obedience to Jesus if you don't do what he commanded? Namely, to be baptized and be nourished upon the supper. So if you are not baptized and you believe, friend, you should be baptized. If you believe and are baptized and your children are not, we operate in a theological tradition that understands that it is also the children of believers who are the rightful recipients of the promises of God and the sacrament of baptism. Another opportunity of application. If you are baptized and you don't remember it because you were too young, because it happened so long ago, hear this encouragement. That your baptism is not about what you declare about yourself. Whether you are baptized at six months, one year, five years, 45 years, 75 years, however old you are when you are baptized, your baptism is not about what you are declaring about yourself, but rather what God is declaring about you. And if your story of following Jesus involves the beautiful sacrament of infant baptism, and you are self-conscious about the fact that you don't remember it, and so you're concerned that it has less significance because you don't remember it, remember that it is not about your profession, but about what God is saying. And long before you ever had the capacity to profess faith in Jesus Christ, long before you would ever come into an understanding of what your baptism means, Jesus was professing His love and faithfulness to you in the sacrament as your parents lovingly carried you to the font to embrace God's promises for you. And God's promises always precede 
our reception of His promises. His word of grace always comes before our reception of His word of grace. So as you as a young one have the sign of His grace placed upon you, you are daily encouraged to say, not that I need to be re-baptized in order for it to mean something to me, but you are rather encouraged to live daily in the understanding that I am a baptized Christian. God's name has been placed upon me. Christ has claimed me as His own. And all that is true of a Christian believer is true of you. The forgiveness of your sins, the cleansing of your conscience, and peace with God as you are encouraged to walk in the newness of life. So, does baptism save us? In and of itself, In and only of the water, the answer is no. But does baptism save us in the sense that it points us to the One who does save us, who promises to wash us, cleanse us, and bring about the forgiveness of our sins? If by faith that's what you mean, then the answer is yes. Because it testifies to the grace of Jesus in your life that you receive by faith all that Jesus has done for you. But it is not externally the washing with water. It is inwardly the promises of the Gospel that you receive by faith. Friends, this is a question that you and I must get right. Not only for the good of our Christian witness to the world, but for the peace of our own conscience in Christ as well. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for the Word of Truth and we thank You for the sacrament of baptism as a pledge of the forgiveness of our sins that we receive by faith alone in Christ alone. So Lord, I pray that You would minister to every single one of us today, that You would minister to our consciences, and that You would apply Your truth to us appropriately according to our need. Bless and keep us toward this end as we praise the name of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.